What's up, guys? It's me, Heather, back with another episode of Strike Boat, a novel about freedom, the book that I wrote, which I am making available to you for free as an audiobook on podcast. Today is February 9th, 2022, and I just want to give a shout out to all of you out there listening who are still getting up every day, putting a smile on your face for your kids, for your spouse, or to the ones who are alone through all this, or to the ones who are elderly or struggling. Um, This has been a grueling couple of years. And if you are still getting up and getting through your day, staying in the moment, keeping some joy and some love in your heart for your fellow man, keeping some peace and good vibes going, I salute you. I commend you. And on that note, thank you, Canadian truckers. We love you. Don't back down. It's so important. With that, I want to get started on Chapter 20, Showdown. In the Blackhawk, Doucette had the pilot circle wide around what was left of the town of Mount Bridges. There were patches where the sinkholes had gotten so large, the remaining ground around them so mushy, that it didn't look capable of maintaining structural integrity that much longer. He had the pilot drop altitude in the farmland area, just outside of view from the municipal building, which looked from his perspective to be situated on land that was somewhat elevated. They cruised at treetop level, looking for a likely place to land, at a farm where the people had already skinned out, leaving a vehicle or two behind, and it didn't take them long to find just such a place. The pilot landed in the dooryard of a well-maintained farm, with neat barns and a rustic country chic decor on the veranda. Doucette got out and waved the pilot off. Cochrane could have his black hawk back. Whoever the farm family was that had lived here, Doucette was going to steal their SUV. He crossed the gravel dooryard and walked up to it, finding a neatly printed note on daisy note paper taped in a Ziploc bag to the driver's side window. Dear authorities, it read, we thought we'd leave the key in case you had to move the SUV. Please return to the plant box on the front porch if the flooding doesn't happen. Sure enough, inside the bag was the car key. Bunch of Christing idiots, Doucette muttered as he ripped the bag from the window and pulled out the key. He would never, not ever, hand over something of his that belonged to him for free. These people were clearly morons. He climbed in the vehicle and headed towards the municipal building. There was a crowd there. It was dispersing, but it was still a crowd. He parked the SUV beside a vintage Winnebago and got out, heading toward the front doors. He got there just in time to see a small group of people emerge and drew up short at the realization that one of them was Lodi James. He stood where he was and concentrated a beam of epic rage at Lodi's back as he went with Deb and Vic and Wanda and the teenagers toward the employee parking spaces. Doucette's eyes flicked back to the doorway where Jamie and Ricky and Morty Sampson and his family were coming toward Doucette. They started towards the Winnebago that the fox had parked beside. Doucette didn't recognize them and therefore didn't care about them. In his mind, they were useless eaters, NPCs, non-player characters, just like all of humanity that stood in between himself and the planet's resources. 
He started walking again, wading through the departing crowd. The fox had an N95 mask over his mouth and nose to hide the damage Lodi had done to his face. He was moving fast, an island heading in the opposite direction against a stream of people who were leaving, and when their paths crossed, he threw a shoulder into Jamie Sinclair because he was that unwilling to budge an inch to let her by. She cut him a scathing look before hurrying on, but the fox was staring in the direction Lodi James had gone. As the last of the crowd disappeared, he went to the service alley where he would be out of sight. He lowered the mask to reveal the murderous expression that it had been hiding and peered around the corner of the building. The fox stood, uncertain, flicking his eyes between the front doors of the building and the people piling into Marksman's gray passat. Cochran, wanted the mayor, had told Doucette in no uncertain terms that the bitch was living on borrowed time and as crazy as Doucette was, he wasn't stupid enough to deliberately disobey Cochran. But Doucette was after Lodi James. He knew him now, all right. This was the man that had fouled up his arms ring outside Kandahar, the little outfit which had been so profitable, feeding weapons to Al-Qaeda militants so they could use them against their own people to help entrench the flag oil interests. It had been a double down, the money funneling in from both the weapons trading and the oil interests, and Lodi James had been the man that pulled the plug. The fox spat bloody drool out on the pavement, plus he clubbed me in the face he thought. He cast his eyes in the direction of the building once again. It would be so easy to kill the mayor right then, he knew. Now that James was on the outside, Doucette could slip inside and no one in there had the balls to stop him. The dumb fucks hadn't even thought to lock the door and Stephen Arthur's half-breed defector whelp was probably in there too, him and the genius. Doucette had heard the genius's little performance on TV earlier. He'd spilled the details about Lloyd Preston on camera, which was something Doucette had specifically warned him earlier that morning not to do. Cochran had said that he wanted him dead for that, but how? He was already on Doucette's shit list. It was a matter of principle. Doucette would have killed both Summers and Anderson without having to be told. After what they'd pulled, he wanted to punish them bring them to new and previously unthought of levels of pain, make, this, make them spend the rest of their short and miserable lives in agony. But if I grab them first, I might lose my chance to follow Lodi James. The fox frowned. Surely Cochran wouldn't expect him to walk away without exacting vengeance on the man that broke his face, he told himself. A glint spread in his eyes, hardening them to a dull shine. He touched his wounded jaw. The decision made, he turned back towards the stolen SUV. He'd follow the Passat, go deal with Lodi James, then come back and kill the mayor and Arthur and the genius. It wouldn't be quite as satisfying to make Anderson and the genius, instead of Lodi, watch him rape the woman, but it would still be quite enjoyable, just the same. Jenna found Andrew Summers and Mary Lee sitting in plush chairs side by side in the reception area. Summers held the bottle of liquor, which was by now all but empty, but looking at him, 
Jenna didn't think he was drinking out of it anymore. It's just a comfort item now, she thought. She walked over and knelt before Mary. Hey, she said softly, resting her arms on Mary's knees. Hey, Mary, you in there? Mary's eyes swam into focus. Jenna was relieved to see it didn't take that long. Mary's smile was wan. I'm here, she said. Jenna, I don't even know how you can look at me after what I've done. You must hate me. Jenna smiled. There was compassion in her eyes as she looked at Mary. I don't hate you, Mary. I understand. It's the system that is broken, not the individual humans who reside within it, trying to survive the best we can. Mary closed her eyes and tears leaked down her cheeks. I'm so sorry, she whispered. I forgive you. You want to go to the lockers with me? I've got some Advil in my makeup bag. My head is killing me. Mary looked up, an expression of concern on her face. Oh, poor girl. I forgot about your head. Is it bad? Jenna shook her head. Nope, she said, then winced at the sudden motion. They both laughed, a little sadly. Liar, Mary chided. But if you're okay, I might just stay here a while. Keep an eye on Andrew. She leaned closer and turned her head slightly away from him. He's quite upset. She mouthed the words behind her hand, and Jenna nodded sagely. All right, then. I'll be here if you need me, okay? We'll get through this, Mare. Hang in there. Mary smiled again, but didn't say anything, and Jenna stood and pressed her fists into the small of her back. She darted a quick glance around the room, but the rest of them were preoccupied. She went up the stairs to the third floor. The locker rooms were in the northwest corner of the building, in a room that had huge windows primed to catch the afternoon sun. Mary had plants in there, brilliant braided hibiscus with striking red and yellow blooms. When Jenna walked in, she noted that the quality of light had gotten orange. She looked outside, scanning along the ridge for the half crescent of sun still visible above the hillside. About a third of it remained, she saw, and after that disappeared. It would be nightfall. She bit her lip. She was thinking about Lodi, and thinking about him made her drop into a lounge chair. She hooked her legs over one armrest and leant against the other, one arm propped behind her head. With her other hand, she toyed with the ends of her long hair, twirling it around her finger. She was thinking of the kiss. Never in her life had she felt that, the sensation of pulling that seemed to tug her towards him. Never had she felt that energy that swirled around and around between them when they came together for that kiss. She thought of the word that her heart had always whispered in that moment, soulmate. Lodi had come into the building through the basement bathroom window earlier that morning, standing behind Wanda and slightly to her left. And even through the chaos, without looking, Jenna had known that it was him, her one. The nerve endings down her body had been picking something up from him, responding to some answering note from his body. That had been the first time that she'd felt it. She remembered thinking there was something familiar about him when he'd first walked in, but it wasn't recognition she'd been feeling. It was the pull. I cannot resist him, she was thinking. 
and I do not want to. She pursed her lips and puffed air outwards. She shouldn't be thinking about it now. She'd just gone on national television and defied the Prime Minister's orders. If she was wrong on this, on any of this, she could kiss her career goodbye. But she didn't care about that now. What she cared about was that kiss. She closed her eyes and called to mind the way it felt to have his strength to cling to at the very moment when she had most needed it. She'd come in from that speech and fell apart, wrung out and unsure of what she'd started. But ever since that kiss, it had been okay. She'd only ever been kissed like that before in dreams, dreams that she'd been having all her life, dreams against which she'd measured every other kiss she'd ever had in life. And they had fallen short, but Lodi's hadn't. A grin lit up her face. She laughed, suddenly breathless at the thought of it. He had potential. She would give him that. In a woman that had largely given up on men, she thought that said a lot. After dropping Carrie and Tamara off at Mary's house to pack some supplies, Lodi drove to the now eerily silent Fallon plant to let Vic and Deb out at their vehicle. The plan was made that Vic and Debbie would go gather what they needed, then return to Mary's for the teenagers. As they pulled away from Vic and Debbie in the parking lot of the auto plant, Lodi watched in the rear view as they stood in front of the now deserted Fallon plant they had worked at, with the sun setting behind it, and he saw Deb reach up and pull Vic to her for a kiss. He smiled at the image of the two of them, backlit by the glory of the sunset, smooching before the remains of the end of an era. Now where to? My house? Wanda asked, but Lodi shook his head. My place first. We need to trade Jay's Passat in for my Jeep. Can't tow a boat trailer behind a Passat wagon, can we? He grinned over at her, shifting smoothly into fifth and heading out of town on 81 as the last of the daylight faded. As the horizon changed from coral to purple, they felt the wheels bite gravel as they made the turn onto his road, and up ahead their headlights found the municipality of Mount Bridges' bulldozer that King's men had unloaded earlier. Now abandoned, it had fallen partway down into the sinkhole, the scoop and front end buried while the rear end hovered half a foot or so above the earth. Wanda sat forward on her seat, peering ahead into the murky, half-dark twilight. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, he heard her say, and he nodded. You got that right. Looks like someone didn't know how to drive that thing well enough to stay away from the edge of that sinkhole. She looked at him, a flash of headlights in the rear view, lighting her eyes in a long horizontal oval that slid off to the left side of her face and out of sight. Either that or it's bigger now she said. He gaped at her, and she shrugged, but she, he realized she was right. They pulled up short of the place where the entrance to his driveway used to be. It was now a quagmire. Lodi swung the nose of the Passat away from it, facing it towards the sinkhole. He cocked his head. The sinkhole did look bigger. In fact, it was much bigger than it had been that morning. He caught a brief but vivid flashback of himself from earlier coming around the side of this house to see the damage for the first time. There had been more solid ground left at the end of his driveway then. 
He could remember nosing the quad out around the edge of the fissure to head to Wanda's house. Now, that last third of his driveway had been swallowed up as well. How many quakes since we left? He asked her. Five? Seven? More than that. Ten if you count the small ones. He nodded. Won't be the last of them either. He reached out to switch off the Passat's ignition plunging them into a silence that resonated as only the silence of rural areas in the growing dark of nightfall can. Slowly, bit by bit, the sounds of crickets and small creatures began to reassert themselves, cautiously at first, then with abandon. I'm getting out to take a look. Can't see shit from in here. Care to join me? If you think I'm staying here by myself in this car without you, I'd say you got another thing coming. Right. He laughed. They opened their doors. Lodi was up and out and looking cautiously down into the black chasm. A second or two later, she came to join him. The sound is different over here, he said. It sounds like water. There's water in there now. That's what you hear. It's rising. Think old marksman has a flashlight in the car so we can check it out? No need. I've got my celly flashlight. She rummaged in a pink velour pocket and drew out her smartphone, tapped the screen, and shone the brilliant LED glow down into the hole. He gave a low whistle. Ain't that some shit? She was right. There was water down there, lots of it, and it was rising. The rotten egg yolk tang of sulfur hung in the air. He grimaced. You smell that too, huh? Water smells like that, it means it's been in the rock for a millennium or so. I learned that on my way to Florida with Chester. We used to drive down every winter before he got sick. See Ruby Falls, the signs kept telling us. We got so gall dang tired of seeing those signs. They had them painted all along I-75, and one year we finally pulled over to take the tour. Turns out it's an underground waterfall. Beautiful, really, but smelly, just like this guide there told us it's the minerals. The water absorbs them from being under the rock, and sulfur's one of them. She broke off, adjusting the direction of the light beam so she could see his face, and looking at him matter-of-factly. I guess that Anderson fellow's right. Rock below is all broke up. I've lived around here all my life. There isn't any water smells like that anywhere close to here. It's coming up from under the ground, and if that's the case... With all the sand this topsoil sitting on, why, I guess it's no surprise that half the town is washed away. This area is sand. It used to be the lake bed long ago. Sand's under the whole area, and when you get a heap of sand and soak it full of water, it'll shift. He thought back to the diesel tank. He'd watched Tamara rub the glass surface of the gauge on her jeans to free it of the sand a recent rain kicked up and realized Wanda was right. The sand was under everything, and when the flood came in, it would move and shift and redistribute itself into new arrangements. He hoped it would rearrange itself enough in certain places that there would still be ground to stand on, little islands like an archipelago capable of supporting life. I guess we better haul on it then, hey? What say? He grinned at her and held his hand out. He saw her reach for it then looked down at her footing, and in that moment he realized that the cricket sound had all gone quiet. 
she must have realized it too, because when she looked back up at him, it was through eyes gone wide with terror. The rear view, he remembered. There had been the flash of headlights in the rear view, the oblong light of their reflection sliding sideways over Wanda's face. There had been a car behind them then, but no corresponding vehicle had appeared to draw up at the impasse in the road. Someone's out there, he thought. He caught her hand and yanked her to him, hard. She gave a little cry, and with his other hand, he snatched the phone from her and dropped it in the pocket of his jeans. The light went out, plunging them into the quickly graying darkness that he hoped was black enough to hide them. He threw his body backwards to the ground. He took her with him, absorbing the impact with his back. But when they hit, he rolled on top of her. He edged them sideways and away from the crevasse. The first gunshot went zinging through the air above their heads. Stay down. I'm going to crawl away from you. Keep low and sneak behind my house. My jeep's back there. Keys are in it. Find a place to hide close by it. I'm going to try to draw him out. She nodded, but her face was pressed to the tarkin grass, and he didn't see. His training had taken over. He had dropped into the flow zone again. He scuttled to the small cover of a granite slab of rock that sat beside his mailbox, looking over his shoulder. He couldn't be sure, but he thought he saw the ghost of her pink tracksuit disappear around the Passat wagon. It was going to have to be good enough. He still had Dusat's gun, and it was loaded. He knew that because he'd checked it at the time. He pulled Wanda's smartphone out of his pocket, ducking even lower behind his rock. The time was 8.47 p.m. He set an alarm to go off at 8.49, then set the phone face up on top of the rock and slunk away. He edged his way around the front of the facade, ears straining to pick up some kind of sign or signal from whoever it was that was out there that had shot at them. From Doucette, he told himself coldly. Might as well be honest. It's Doucette out there. It has to be. And we have a score to settle. He thought of Johnny Simcoe, who had been his closest friend till Doucette killed him. And then he thought of Jenna. He thought about the kiss and how it had felt to hold her. He thought about what Doucette would do to her if Lodi didn't win this battle. Lodi would kill Doucette this time. He would have to. The thought of allowing that demented psychopath anywhere near Jenna was unconscionable, especially now, after how he felt about her. Lodi's lip curled upwards in anticipation. His eyes narrowed. He hunkered down beside the Passat's passenger side front fender, keeping his eyes peeled in the direction of the rock. Wanda's phone alarm would go off any second. He hoped it was the kind of phone that lit up like a Christmas tree. He held up a hand in front of him to block his own view of the device. His eyes had grown accustomed to the darkness. He didn't want the flash of light to screw that up again. Even though he'd been expecting it, however, when the phone lit up, and the digitalized version of the opening rock piano bars of Taking Care of Business blasted out of Wanda's phone a second later, it was all he could do not to jump. Sure enough, a second gunshot answered right away. The phone got hit, 
It toppled off the rock, the sound of Wanda's ringtone cutting off mid-bar. Lodi saw the muzzle flash out of the corner of his eye, but it was the wrong eye. It was the left, well left. His house was to the left, and beyond that, Wanda, he whispered. Fuck. The fox had gone around the other way, and that was the way that Wanda had been heading. Lodi pivoted, straining his eyes in that direction. He had sent her right into the fox's path. The dozer was there. Doucette was probably behind it. Lodi edged around the front of the car again to provide himself with cover. He had to pick his way through water. His feet were soaked. The water level had risen very quickly. It was up over the lip of the sinkhole, spreading out across what was left of the road. They didn't have time for this. All he wanted to do was grab some shit and get his ass back to Jenna, but he couldn't. He had to finish it. The battle between him and Doucette was long overdue. Suddenly an ugly laugh pierced the silence. You might as well come out, James. Doucette baited him in an ugly sing-song. I got a little something here that belongs to you. Doucette stepped into focus on the edge of what was left of Lodi's driveway, and Lodi saw the pink-clad form of Wanda Blake. Doucette had her clamped against him, one arm locked around her throat, Fallon's glock in front of him. No. For a moment, Lodi felt like charging him. Doucette was still looking towards the rock where Wanda's phone had been. He might be able to make it. Lodi heard the telltale draw of breath and saw the dull red flare-up of a cigarette. Good. The man was smoking. The fox's ruined face lit up orange. Hopefully the heater of the cigarette would give off just enough light to make his eyes less focused in the dark. By its light, Lodi could see the damage that he himself had inflicted earlier on the fox's face and felt a surge of satisfaction. He cocked his head, evaluating. If he sprang forward and rushed the man, he could shove Wanda out of the way and... He frowned. That would never work. They were just a smidge too far. The fox would hear his footsteps coming. It would give him plenty of time to shoot. Lodi would have to think of something else. He heard a gurgle from behind him and felt a gush of water surge around his ankles. He dropped a glance down at the front tire of the Passat and saw that the front end of the car was underwater to the lug nuts. Suddenly a plan began to take shape in his mind. Doucette was behind the car, a good way out towards the opposite side of the road where the land was slightly higher. Could the fox tell how much water was beyond the nose of the Passat? Lodi didn't think so. He uttered a brief prayer that he was right, then dropping down, he edged his way around the hood. Fuck is this shit? Lodi heard a splash and guessed that the water had reached them. It was now or never. Hey, dickface, Lodi called. Why don't you let her go and come and get me? He darted his head above the line of the Passat and fired. His aim was high and wide. He missed the pair of them by a mile and dropped back out of sight behind the fender. The angle of the shot had been intentional. He wanted Doucette to know where he was, but he didn't want to take the chance of hitting Wanda. She screamed anyway. 
She gave a breathy little shriek of panic and fluttered a hand around her heart, and then she fainted. She slumped against Doucette, who cursed and shoved her roughly to the ground in front of him. Not daring to hope that his plan was working, Lodi heard him approaching the passenger side of the Passat. Where are you, James? Where are you hiding? What, you too scared to come and face me? Behind the driver's side fender, Lodi felt the water rise a little higher up his legs and knew Doucette was nearing the edge of the crevasse. Just a few more steps, he thought. Come on, you oaf. Just a little further. That your piece of meat back there? The mare? When I'm done with you, I'm going to fuck her. I'm going to head back there right after this. And before I kill that broad, before I cut her up, I'm going to fuck her. You like that plan, you piece of shit? What the? Doucette had found the edge of the crevasse. He lost his footing. Scrabbling against the bumper of J. Marksman's facade, up to his waist in water, his feet partway down the inside of the chasm and searching for purchase. It was Lodi's moment. He vaulted up onto the hood of the car and swung his legs out prone in front of him. Then he braced his shoulders against the windshield. He pulled his knees back, then planted his feet in back of Doucette's shoulder and gave him a shove that launched Doucette out into the sinkhole. Lodi watched the splash as Doucette went face first into the water. Then he slid across the hood and reached inside the open driver's door window to switch on the facade's headlights. Doucette's head popped up. He swam to the edge and tried to find a handhold strong enough to pull himself to solid ground. Lodi watched him try and try again and fail and finally give up treading water and the beam of the headlights. Lodi stepped out of the shadows, his gun arm pointing at Doucette. Lodi didn't say anything for a time, and neither did Doucette. Stone-faced, the fox raised his arm above the water and tried to fire the Glock, but it had been submerged and wouldn't fire. As Doucette clicked the trigger on the useless weapon, a river of faces flashed through Lodi's mind comrades that had been killed by weapons sold to insurgents by Doucette, friends of his, brothers, and then his mind filled with the image of the windows of the council chamber shattering inwards, the line of blood appearing on Jenna's scalp as he dove towards her. I'm going to fuck her, kill her, cut her up, the fox had said. Lord, I thought about the softness of her lips on his and pulled the trigger. In the glow of the Passat's headlights, Lodi watched as the top of Doucette's forehead split apart. He saw the lifeless head fall back into the water, the body twirling slightly in the eddying current. Doucette's suit jacket billowed up with air around his shoulders, and Lodi smiled grimly. The body had released its gases. Good, he thought. Go off to hell with your own fart trapped around your head. Looks good on you. He watched an extra moment just to be sure, but there was no mistaking that the fox was dead. Lodi took one last look, then rushed to where Wanda still lay stretched out on the road. Water streamed around her, down the small incline towards his house. He knelt beside her and saw that her hair was matted and soaked at the back. 
A ripple in the current marked the shift in the water's path where it veed outwards around her shoulders. He held a hand under her jaw, feeling for a pulse. She opened one eye. Oh, thank God, she said. It's you. I heard the shot and didn't know which of you was down. I'm awfully glad to see you, Lodi. Help me up for the second goddamn time today. Lodi let out a chuckle of relief and help her, helped her gently to her feet. She peered at him. Is he? Is he gone? Lodi nodded. He's gone. Are you sure? You want to see? I think I need to. He helped her wade through the rising water as far as he would let her go. Can't go any closer. Ground is far from stable. It's close enough. They could see Doucette, arms outstretched in the dark waters, the wound in his forehead proof enough that he had not survived. Dear God, Wanda said, pray for this sinner. Bring him home to you to heal and the perfect life and love of spirit. Let him leave the sins of his past behind and go forward cleansed in the winds and the waters of the universe. Amen. Lodi looked at her a long moment. Amen, he finally said, as tears swam into his eyes. And may the same be true for all of the souls that he harmed in this world. He shook his head briskly to clear it. We haven't got much time. The water's really surging up from the sinkhole. He jerked his head in the direction of his house. We've got to gear up, get moving. She nodded, patting at her dripping hair. I gathered. He got her to the back of his house. The jeep was parked behind the chicken coop. He put her in the passenger seat, then found a sweater in the back and flattened it over her legs. Hang on. I'm just going to run in and grab what I can carry. Hurry up. I don't like that water. It's coming awful fast now. I will. He darted inside through the back door. He emerged a moment later with an overloaded hockey bag, which he stowed in the back seat of the Jeep. He waded through water up to his calves to open the driver's door, then climbed in. He started the engine and shifted the vehicle into drive, then stepped on the accelerator. The tires tried to catch but couldn't. The Jeep yawed sideways, then settled back into position. He tried again and a rooster tail of mud and water spewed up from the back tires. His face was grim. He leaned forwards and shifted into 4 by 4 low range, locking the hubs. In front of the house, a geyser belched up from the sinkhole. Torrents of water now gushed past the Jeep. The rocker panels were submerged. He tried again, but the vehicle wouldn't move forwards against the weight of water. I'm going to try to back out, he said. We're going to have to ride this wave downstream. Help us, Jesus, Wanda whispered at his side. She looked up at the sky and added, You too, Chester. If you're watching, help us out of here. Lodi jammed it into reverse and gunned it, and the jeep rocked into motion. He backed them down the hill past his chicken coop and up onto a small ridge that ran the ditch line in the direction of Wanda's farm. When he had them on dry ground, he put the vehicle in park. Sorry, he said. I can't leave them in there to drown. If I let them loose, they stand a chance, but not in there. I'll only be a minute. 
He disappeared into the chicken coop. He opened up the catches on the enclosures, then emerged a moment later with two cages. Princess was in one, her feathers ruffled, and the other was his rooster. There was a shape against the darkness to his left. He turned his head, and there was a coyote sitting boldly on its haunches. Lodi met his eyes. The coyote looked towards the coop. Lodi did as well, then sighed. He's only trying to survive, he thought, just like we are. He turned his back and put the cages in beside his hockey bag, then climbed back behind the wheel. She was looking at him strangely, and he shrugged. If you'd have asked me this morning, I'd have said that I was planning on shooting that old hoss before the day was through. Funny how things work out, she laughed, and they started off to her house to get the boat. From behind, the coyote watched them go, his gray muzzle bathed in the red glow of their taillights. He alone saw what happened a moment later, when the earth around the sinkhole split even further, like the skin of a rotten apple, parting fleshlessly to reveal the decay underneath. When the sinkhole expanded, the dwelling belonging to what the coyote had come to think of as the man went with it. There was the snap of breaking timbers and the screech of nails pulling free of struts, and then the house went down into the chasm. One of Lodi's hens was flapping and squawking in the shallowest part of the water, which was rising towards the coyote's feet. He snared her his teeth and then turned and loped off towards higher ground. So we'll leave it there for today. Actually, I might do another episode this afternoon. I'm not sure. We're getting close to the end, and I'm eager to be done so I can get to work on Archipelago, the sequel. Anyway, the next chapter is chapter 21, Requiem. Wherever you are, I hope you're keeping well, trying to keep your spirits up, getting some sunshine and fresh air, and above all, stay free. God bless you guys.